Awesome. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Before we jump in, a few things I forgot about. One, Franklin is on vacation. I think he's in Europe somewhere. Um, yeah, I think he left to go to Europe so, um, with his family. So be praying for him. And then also, um, Daniel and Anna, their baby is on the way. So uh, be, be pr- yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, um, be praying for them as well. Uh, uh, God is moving there. So um, two things that I had forgot there. So Matthew chapter 7 is where we'll be. Um, and we are in our new series that will run through the duration of the summer. Um, and I just love to say it. Jesus said, you're getting it? That's good. What? Um, it just, I, it just, because it's really kind of like that. When you hear some of the stuff that he says, it's kind of like, what? I did, what? Okay, maybe I'm the only one like that. But um, so that's, that's what we're doing now. We're just looking at some of the difficult, tough sayings uh, that Jesus has said. And so uh, whether they're hard or whether they're confusing, um, I just want us to, to dig in and find out what Jesus really is saying, what he really means by what he is saying. And so uh, we know that so many people have misconceptions about Jesus, all that he had to say. And so my hope is that we can get to the bottom of what he really meant whenever he said some of the difficult things that he uh, said. And so uh, just like last week, we were looking um, last week and we see where Jesus says, if you want to belong to him, if you want to be one of his followers, uh, then you have to eat his uh, body and drink his blood. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. Which sounds horrific if you're outside of the family of God, wanting to be a part of the family of God. All the while looking at the people who are a part of the family of God and thinking, are they going to eat people? Like, like what are they doing? And so to, to really look and dive into that scripture and see what Jesus meant in regards to that saying, actually is all by faith. Because everything that he said before, he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He was talking about faith. He was talking about who he is. And so he says he wants you to feast on him by way of faith, that he is the one that satisfies. He is the one that brings to uh, completeness. It's him and so he's, he, and he says this to a group of people that had been chasing him, come after him just after he had fed the 5,000. And so they had their stomachs full from pain of hunger. And then they come to him the next morning and they want him to do another trick, another uh, magic thing for him and meet a need for them, the physical need, when in all reality it was a spiritual need that they had the greatest need of. And so, um, so we just looked at that. If you missed any of that talk last week, uh, be sure you can check it out online on our Facebook page or on our website. Um, and so I'm going to ask you this morning if you'd join me as we pray before we jump into uh, where we're going to be this morning. So Father God, we, uh, we ask you, Lord, in this moment that you would just continue to speak to us. Jesus, we need to hear your voice, and so God, as we look at some more difficult sayings, or maybe some sayings that have been misconstrued over the years, or have been twisted, God, we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would confirm, your Holy Spirit would speak, that he would just be alive and well and present in this place, convicting and drawing and doing a work, and so God, we need you as we look at your word. God, help us interpret. God, help us to hear and understand. God, give our hearts ears to hear what you have to say this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all you do for us. In name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to look at one of the most probably recognizable statements that Jesus has ever made. One of the uh, most recognizable things that he has ever said. And so if we were to take a poll of a bunch of random people and ask them of something that Jesus said, this would probably be one of the sayings that uh, would be mentioned, one of the sayings that would be said. And it's this thought of judge not. 
That's one of the most popular verses, one of the most uh, popular verses that's just thrown out there, that's just said, uh, because it seems to really fit in our culture, does it not? It seems to be like, finally, Jesus says something of value. Jesus says something that will fit in the world that we live in. And it fits there because there's, uh, there, there's two basic assumptions in our culture. One is that religion is private, and two, that morality is relative. That religion is private and morality is relative. And so all of that means is that you can't really tell anybody what they're to believe. And you really can't tell anybody what they're doing wrong. That's the whole thought. That's kind of the culture and the world we're living in today. And so everything has to do with personal preference in, in, in that sphere of thinking. And so this verse will be thrown around real quick if someone's ever been called out on something. If someone's ever been looked at funny. If someone's ever been approached by someone else in a way that they don't like. Well, you can't judge me or who are you to judge Judge not is what the Bible says. But what I want you to know and what I want to look at is what is Jesus really saying here? What, what does he really mean when he says that? So let's jump into the scripture, Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 1. And we'll just read down through and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in and dissect it. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he says this, kind of uh, pulls into it even more. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So if you can't judge me as a verse that we want to hold to, then you'll, just, you'll love when we get to verse 6 here shortly. So let's do the hard work of really diving in, digging in, and seeing what Jesus is talking about. So what does he mean by judging here? What is he talking about when he says, judge not? Because he can't mean not to tell people that they're wrong, because he spent his whole ministry doing that. That's exactly what Jesus did. He confronted people where they were at. He, he pressed upon their hearts the reality of their condition. So, so what is Jesus talking about? Because Scripture can never contradict itself. Scripture can never contradict Jesus. They go hand in hand and they are one. We believe that it's perfect and inerrant. So what is Jesus talking about? Is the problem with, with Scripture and Jesus or is the problem with man? And I'm always going to default to the reality that we're the problem, not Jesus and his word. So let me give you a few examples of how, how Jesus did this. And it would appear that maybe he went against his own words. Matthew seven thirteen says this. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So Jesus is saying there's two gates. Uh, there's two gates here. One's wide, and, and it's going to take a, a many people are going to enter through it. He says, but this, in 14, he says, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And he says, there are few that find it. Very controversial, is it not? Very in your face, is it not? Very kind of one-way thinking, is it not? Very judgmental, it would appear, or is it? Because this doesn't sound like do whatever you want to do, and you'll eventually get there. It doesn't seem like Jesus saying, who am I to judge? Just live your life, do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. Matthew 22, through 20, Matthew 22 29 says something, something as well. He says, you are wrong. This is Jesus. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus is calling out the religious people at the time. And he says that you're wrong. I mean, this loving, gracious, all-encompassing Jesus. He would say that? Yes, he says that. You're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Listen to John 7, 7 as it shows us again how Jesus approached things. 
It says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus says, and I'm testifying, and he's not talking about the world, the planet, the stars. He's talking about the people in the world. I testify about it that its works are evil. And so it doesn't sound like a who am I to say something or correct someone type of Jesus, does it? It doesn't seem like a, well, you just do your own thing and everybody will eventually get their type of Jesus. And so plenty of those who, who followed Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for telling people the truth about their sin. It paid the ultimate sacrifice for telling. I mean, just think about it for a moment. John the Baptist, we're all aware of him, the front runner before Jesus comes along, telling people, make straight the way. There's one coming that I'm not even worthy to unstrap the sandals that he wears. And we know what happens to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is beheaded for calling out Herod for sexual sin. He's beheaded for calling out the king on his sin. Paul, we all know Paul. Saul, God saves him and rescues him, gives him a new name, Paul. What we know about Paul is that he's beheaded. Paul, Paul rebuked a lot of people, did he not? Paul said a lot of truthful things that, that were hard and difficult. This doesn't mean that we don't tell people that they are wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't share the reality of where they're at. It doesn't mean that we don't stand on truth. So what does it mean? What does this mean, judge not? What does it mean to judge in general? And so I want to give you, give you two points real quick, a few points real quick. Here we go. The first thing is this. We judge someone when we dismiss them or write them off, not when we evaluate how they're doing. You get it? We judge someone. We're guilty of judging someone when we dismiss them or when we write them off, not when we evaluate what they are doing. Not when we assess the life that they're living. Not when we assess how they react or, or don't react or what they say or don't say. That's not judgment. We judge them when we dismiss them or we write them off. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 17. He says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So what we know about Jesus is that he tells a difficult truth, don't he? He doesn't shy away from it. He tells the truth to people in their sin. But here in John chapter 3, his motives are made known. What did he do? He came to save the world, not condemn the world, but to offer a pardon to all who would believe, all who would receive, all who would come to him through faith. So the reality is this, church, is people can't, know they're, people can't be saved until they know that they're lost, People can't come to the saving faith in Jesus Christ until they realize that they're not in Jesus Christ. Give, you, give me an example. It was a, um, a few years ago. I think this was even before we had boys, and we were on vacation um, at the beach, and we're coming back, and it's a, a trip that we've made plenty of times, and so I know how to get there. You go to Columbia, and then you hit 20, and then after you hit 20, you go to Florence, and once you get to Florence, you're on 95 for just a stint, and then once you get to 95, you get off on that, that little exit that's got the two gas stations and the McDonald's and the, uh, the Wendy's and the Zaxby's and the motel, and, and you go that way for just a, just a smear. I don't know the numbers of the road there. I was being cute, and then I lost numbers, um, and then you get on that little cut through road that comes out at the Exxon and then you make a left on that and it'll take you all the way to the beach I can get there and you know what to get home you just reverse that super simple right so I thought so we're driving just having a good time just me and my wife this is before boys no no boys and so we're just driving and we're on 20 headed home we're getting close to Columbia and at Columbia, you pick up 26 to come back home. And so we're just going at it, and we're just talking. Like, it's not like, like, like she's not chewing me out. I'm not chewing. It's a gr this is a great talk. Like, it's, it's very loving. Um, and so, right? Is that how you remember it? Okay. I, she kind of looked at me like. And so, it, it turns that way real quick here in a minute, and you'll see what I mean. Um, 
So we're just talking, having a good time, and, and somewhere along the lines, I just fly by 26. I don't even, I'm not, I'm not even aware of 26 is even there, and I'm just going, and she's finally like, when, she's like, isn't there, don't we get off this road somewhere? And I'm like, yeah, babe, we got, I mean, I'm sure we're good. And I don't have a clue past, tw- past 26. I've never been that way. I don't know. So f- once you pass that stage, I'm lost, and I have no clue. And we weren't like doing the GPS because, like I said, I just proved that I can get back. If you can get there, you can get back, right? So I proved that I can do that. We've done this trip before. I know what I'm doing. And I'm a guy, right? Who, who needs directions and GPS and all that stuff? Ah, it's for the week. <sighs> it's not. It's so not. And so I'm driving, doing the, doing the 20 thing, and we're talking. And she gets, uh, she gets a little antsy if we get lost. Like, she starts to get a little worked up if she feels like she's lost. And my, my take on it is, man, this is just another adventure that we get to go down, you know? Like, we get to explore now. I mean, it's close to dark, yes, and we don't have a clue where we're at. But, hey, like, I'm ready to expl- let's do this thing, right? We got gas in the tank, food in the belly. We're, we're good for at least another 12 hours. And so, um, so she's like, I'm turning on the GPS. But you don't need to do that. We're good. Well, I'm happy she turned on the GPS because we're 15 miles past and, and if you don't know what 15 miles means, that, that's, that's about another 30 minutes to get back to where you need to be, just to get heading back. And so I just saw the angst in her and the love in her toward me just well up. <laughs> but I say all that to say this, thank God for the GPS, because who knows where we would have ended up. Like, like we've never been on 20 for like three hours, but I would have made an excuse to why we needed to be, you know what I'm saying? But is that not a picture of our world? Uh, the majority of our world, they don't even know they're lost. They don't even realize they're lost. So, so, so Jesus comes onto the scene and he tells people, for someone to be saved, they need to know that they're lost. Church, do you hear that? You cannot be saved until you realize that you're lost and in need of Jesus. And so just because you think you attend church or you're nice or you give a few bucks or even know a few Bible verses, that may or may not be evidence of salvation. Salvation is faith in Jesus And that faith in Jesus is an ongoing, everyday, ongoing faith that brings about a change in you by way of the Holy Spirit working, allowing you to be obedient, allowing you to love obedience, love Jesus, follow him. And so not condemning does not mean not telling the truth. So when Jesus said, I didn't come in the world to condemn the world, he didn't, he came to save He can't save unless they know that they're lost, unless we know that we're lost. And every single one of us that are saved in this place this morning had to come to that realization that we don't know Jesus and we are lost. And that's what Jesus has come to do. So he's going to tell them the truth about themselves. See, it's about a person. It's about Judging is about writing a person off after you tell them the truth. That's what judging is. That's where the sin lies. What do you do after telling someone the truth determines whether or not you're judging them or whether or not you're condemning them? It's not wrong to tell them the truth. We need the truth. There's so many lies and so much junk out there. We need to know the truth. It's what we do after we tell someone the truth. So after telling us the truth about us, what does Jesus do? He doesn't write us off. He doesn't give up on us. No, no, no. What does he do? He invites us in. He invites us in, and I believe this is just a beautiful picture of what we should do as the church. And so the way Jesus invites us in, the way that Jesus is committed to us, he does it by dying on the cross to purchase us, does he not? He says, hey, by the way, you're a sinner and you need a Savior, but guess what? I'm here. 
Now, I've come to be your savior. I've come to be your rescuer. I've come to take the place that you could never take, to do what you could never do for yourself. That's what Jesus says. He says, yes, you're dirty. Yes, you're wrong. Yes, you need cleaned up, but you can't clean yourself up. You just make more of a mess. It's like this. I've got a three and a half year old, and when he makes a mess, he wants to clean it up. But what does he do? He just smears the mess everywhere. Church, that's a picture of us. Trying to fix ourselves, trying to make ourselves right. It's just us like that three-year-old on the floor trying to clean up the mess. It just smears and goes everywhere and leaves a bigger mess for mom and dad to clean up. Jesus says, I come and I'm going to tell you the truth about you, but I'm not going to leave you in the state that you're in. I'm going to offer you a way. Offer you a way. And then after that, once we enter into faith, he still doesn't leave us. What does he do? He lives in us by way of the Holy Spirit, whereby he convicts us, whereby he encourages us, whereby he presses on us, allows us to bring things up in remembrance of what he's done, who he is, his word. All of those types of things is what he does. I believe that's what we should do. Yeah, we call people out, but when we call people out, we walk with them through whatever it is we call them out on. And even in the way that we call them out matters. How we do that matters. I, I, just, I just feel like I need to say this. You don't catch sin from sinners. Like, you get that, right? Like, you don't catch sin from sinners from hanging out with somebody that's doing something they shouldn't do as you lovingly engage, as you lovingly earn fellowship, as you lovingly challenge them and walk with them. Like, you don't have to worry about getting dirty because what I know from the Scriptures is that we're all dirty. And it's only by Jesus that we're clean and made whole and pure and righteous. We've all already got it in us. And so some of us have, have been cleaned up by our Heavenly Father, and some of us are needing cleaned up by our Heavenly Father. And so I believe Jesus gives us a beautiful model of how to do that. We call out sin always, but then we stay committed and loving and walk with throughout the process. Second way we know whether we're uh, about judging is this. Judging shows our lack of awareness of our own sin. The second point is this. Judging others it shows our lack of awareness over our own sin and so what we see here in these scriptures is that Jesus talks about the speck in your neighbor's eye while having what a log in your own eye and so it's about being a hypocrite is this about being a hypocrite yes absolutely which I just want to out us all really fast we're all hypocrites every single one of us in the room is a hypocrite like I just I love that argument about the church like, I just love, love that argument when someone says, well, I would love to go to church, but, but, but you've got a few hypocrites, don't you? And the way that they say that is, is as if they're not hypocritical themselves. Like, like, they've never been a hypocrite. No one's ever been a hypocrite. No, no we're, we're all hypocrites. That's what, that's what this does. It shows and it tells us that we're all hypocritical, that we say one thing, but we live, we live differently than what we even say. We believe one thing, but we even from time to time live contrary to what we say we even believe. Every single one of us, every single one of us. But I believe what Jesus is talking about here with this speck in your neighbor's eye, this log in your own eye, I believe it, I believe it goes deeper than that. I, I believe he's really getting at the heart of the matter. See, I believe he's also teaching us here that by looking for and being aware of our own sin is what we need to do. By looking at and being aware of our own sin. And so sin should always cause us to be broken. Whether it's our own sin or someone else's sin. That should always be the response to sin. When you hear of someone that's failed or fallen, or you hear of someone that's rebelling, it shouldn't well up in us a gladness, or finally they're going to get what they, no. And knew what sin is and what sin does. 
And so what I'm saying is this, is that we need to constantly be looking at our own heart and our own motives and see where we fall short. That's the way we need to approach it. We approach someone who's in sin and error. We should be painfully aware of our own sin. We should be painfully aware of our own shortcomings, of our, of our own struggles. Verse 2 said, for with judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So let's talk for a moment about Jesus and how he measured, how he looked, how he did that. What measure or what judgment has been pronounced on us? Right now it's grace and mercy. Right now, for those of us that are in the family of God, it's going to continually be grace and mercy. For those outside of God, it's grace and mercy now. But there's coming a day when that grace and mercy will be exercised in a way that will be holy and just and righteous in the form of wrath. That's how that judgment will be poured out. That's what will happen in that moment for those that don't know Jesus. Right now you get grace and you get mercy. But on that day, if you are not found in Christ, it'll still be grace and mercy, but in a different way. Through justice, through wrath, through holiness. And so this is true, this reality is true about every one of us here today. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in the world. God is pouring out his love and grace and mercy. And so you have every opportunity to be made whole in Jesus. Every opportunity, right? Church, that's why it's so important that we plead. That's why it's so important that we engage. That's why it's so important that we walk. And if they want to call us judgmental and they want to call us whatever, call me whatever you want to call me, but I'm going to still be committed to you. I'm going to still be walking with you. I'm going to still care for you enough to tell you the truth about your sin, all the while showing you some of the shortcomings, showing you some of the areas of my life that God's working on me as well. None of us have, none of us have made it. None of us have arrived yet. None of us are perfect. Every single one of us, before the week is over, is going to sin somehow or some way. And the way that I know that is because we're still alive. We're still here. We don't not sin again until we get to Jesus, until we get eternity with him. Now, we fight with everything in us not to. We press into him with everything in us. And so the way to defeat judging others is to be aware and broken all by the gospel, to be aware of the gospel and to be broken by it, uh, to be sensitive to our own sin. So, so how do you know if you're judging someone? How do you know if you're doing that or not? One way is this, you're more enraged by other sin than broken over your own sin. A way to know if you are judging someone or not is that you're more enraged by their sin than broken over your sin. And I think maybe the best way that I can kind of illustrate this is by doing this. Because I don't know about you, but this wins people every time, does it not? Hey, God hates, you fill in the blank. Standing out on a corner, do you know God hates? God despises? God can't stand you? Because that wins everybody every time, doesn't it? Oh, really, brother? Let me know more. Yes, your Jesus, I would love to follow your Jesus. It wins everybody every time, doesn't it? Did you know that God, does God hate sin? Absolutely. He, every time, why? Because of what it done to his son, because of what it's done to our relationship with him. Remember the garden? Sin fractures and messes up absolutely everything. God despises sin. Yes, he does. Oh, but he loves people. Oh, he loves people. And I just don't know how effective this truly is. Like, I grew up kind of in that culture, 
coming up through. The, the kind of churches that I would attend growing up was kind of this way. And you know what? Not one time do I ever remember someone saying, oh, you know, God hates me so much. Let me see what, how do I get over that? How does he get over that? How does he, th- this does nothing, does it not? Does this not just reek of judgmental? Do you know what? God hated you and your sin too then if we're going to be like that. So it's just say, God, God hates you and used to hate me. But, but we never go that route, do we? We always just want to point out and we always just want to point the finger and we always just want to go at it that way. I mean, we see Jesus doing this all over the scriptures, don't we? Hey, pr- prostitutes. Hey, tax collectors. You know, I hate you. And we don't see that anywhere, do we? We, we don't see that's not the heart of our Savior and thank God it's not. Yes, Jesus hates sin, despises sin. He murders his son because of sin. Absolutely. But I just, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I just don't know how effective this truly is. Because the problem I have with this is that when we go and we stand on the corner and we scream and we yell this and we hold up these ridiculous signs like this, we never walk with and try to see where that person's at. We never walk with and get engaged relationally with whoever it is that we're screaming at that God hates. We, we never try to get to the bottom of and love and serve. You want to be effective, go stand on the corner and hand out bottles of water at those things. And I don't even know what, the, what those things are in your mind that's running through it. You want to do that, go hand out bottles, bottles of water in the hot day. And then, and then invite them back to have a party at your house. That's, that's not judgmental. Because what I know is this, is, is I don't know of anybody that comes to Jesus that way. But what I do know and what Jesus models and shows us is that whenever you engage someone and you start to walk in their life with them and you start to care for them and you start to ask questions and you start to earn fellowship and you start to earn trust and you start to serve those that don't look like they uh, deserve to be served when you start to do those kinds of things, what happens? The door starts to open, does it not? And then in that, you get to have conversation. Not jam Jesus down their throat, but you get to have conversation about who Jesus is and what he's done and how your sin is no different than their sin. Oh, but is it really? Is, is your sin different than their sin? Absolutely not. Because what I know is about your sin and my sin, it put Jesus on the cross. And that's what all sin does, is it crucifies Christ every time. So are you more enraged by their sin than broken over your own? Because what that does is causes a hard heart, does it not? If you are not aware of and sensitive to your own sin and just become enraged by everybody else's sin, uh, that brother gets a hard heart. And and I don't know how effective he'll ever be in in reaching the world for Jesus. Uh, Galatians 6.1 says it like this. Paul writes to the believers at Galatia and he says this. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So if anyone's caught in their sin, if anyone's caught in any, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. How gentle is that? Well, it's talking about believers. Okay, so we're going to treat a believer with gentleness and respect and honor, but to hell with the world? Uh, is that not crazy thinking? We'll be gentle with believers. No, we should be even more gentle. We should be even more gracious. We should be even more loving with the lost world. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You always confront with a general approach and motive. Always. 
And then he says this. He says, by the way, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Keep watch on yourself. Always checking your heart. Always checking your motive. Be aware of your sin struggle because if not, your heart will become hardened toward. You always check yourself. So the first way you know if you're judging someone is you're more enraged by their sin than broken over yours. The second way you know if you're judging someone is this. You don't forgive. You don't forgive. You are saying, when you say you will not forgive, how arrogant and crazy is that for those of us that have tasted of the grace and received the forgiveness of Jesus? I mean, think about that for a moment. How dangerous that is. That we say we won't forgive someone. And I don't care how bad or how mean or what they've done to you. Let's just flip it for a moment. Because isn't the way we always do the standard and the way that we always judge is is man to man? Well, let's flip it for a moment. Let's look at who has forgiven us the most ever. Is it not Jesus? Has Jesus not forgiven us more than anybody ever? I mean, think about it for a moment. Like, you get in your sin, when you sin, in that moment, you stop loving and following Jesus. You commit spiritual adultery. How many times would you allow your spouse to run around on you and still be okay with it? How many times would you, because that's church, that's what we do for those of us that are in Christ every time that we sin. And then we parade it around in his nose because he's aware. Like a spouse may be able to hide it and get away with it for a while. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus is aware of every thought that runs through our mind. Think about that for a moment. Every single thought. And do you know what he does every single time? Every single time that we stop loving, we stop pursuing, we stop walking with, every single time, do you know what he forgives in spite of? He forgives. How arrogant is it of us, for us not to forgive someone, but you don't know what they did to me, but I know what you did to Jesus. You don't know what they did to me, Scott. You don't know how they talk to me. You don't know how they act. You don't know what they took from me. I know what you took from Jesus. It's his life. And he still forgives. Now hear me, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that the relationship won't be different. I'm not saying that, uh, uh, that, that it won't be fractured, it won't take time, or it may never get back to the way that it used to be. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we offer forgiveness. We offer forgiveness. And we say things like, I'll forgive, but I can't forget. And yes, that, that's true. We don't have forgetters. But that does not give us the right to stay mad, to act cold toward, or to bring it back up again. That's not forgiveness, church. Forgiveness is living out the reality of choosing not to bring it up or hold it against or affect your attitude toward him. That's what true forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, looks like. And I'm so grateful that we've got a God that shows and models for us what forgiveness looks like and what forgiveness is. How do you know if you're judging someone third way is this? You gossip. You gossip. And this is just horrible. What gossip is, is telling others with the hope of making yourself look better, appear more holy, more godly. This is done because there's a lack of humility and understanding of sin. That's why we gossip. See, this is judging someone with no chance of seeing someone change. It's rallying the troops on your account. So you tell. 
what I've learned is this, and my dad just gave me some, some of the best advice probably ever. He said, son, if you ever need to tell somebody, just tell Jesus because he won't tell anybody. Okay, he tells the Father. Uh, they're all kind of like one anyways. But, but he's like, if, if, son, if you ever need to tell somebody something and you don't ever want it to get out, just tell Jesus. And, and if, if you're in that, just tell Jesus. You don't need to rally the troops. You don't need to try to get more people on your side. You don't need to, all of those kinds of things. And we don't need to disguise it in a prayer request. right? We're in the South, and that's just the way that we do it. We need to pray for sister so-and-so. And we can't just leave it there, can we? Why, what is she doing? <laughs> I thought she was. Well, God just won't let me tell you. I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? Don't, don't disguise it with prayer or a bless their little heart. We'll do that little stuff too. We'll bless their little heart. Well, I need to tell you something about somebody. Whenever, oh, really What? so I can better pray for them. And then you end it with a bless their little heart? Uh, like God just kind of smooths it all over, makes it all better after that. No, that, that's just as gossipy with a bless your little heart or without a bless your little heart. It, it, it's all sinful, and that's how you know you're judging someone. Another way that you know that you're being judgmental is this, is that you refuse critiques or constructive criticism. The, the way that you know that you're being judgmental is if you refuse critiques or constructive criticism, and so we don't like to admit that we have struggles or that we're not good sometimes, do we? We, we don't like that. We don't like, the, we don't like the, the spotlight to be on us. And so this is what I despise about our media craze culture, this good precious gift of just a, a, a two-second uh, blurb on how everything is great and my life is grand. But hear me, if we understand the gospel, we're not surprised by our own limitations and struggles. The beautiful news about this is that we've all been outed and, and that we're all going to struggle and that we're all going to have hang-ups, and that we're all going to have to run to Jesus every moment of every day to be anything. That's what this does, this, in spite of Facebook or Instagram or, or Snapchat or whatever else you got. See, when someone points out our sin, we should rejoice in that. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Maybe it's something that I'm unaware of. Maybe it's a blind spot that I've got. Or maybe it's just direct rebellion in my heart that I need to be called on. I, I love this. I've, just, I've, heard this. I've heard this illustration over and over, and I'm sure I've shared it here before. But uh, there was this revival preacher that had rolled into to this town. It was back when they had tent revivals. And I think it was like in England or somewhere. And he, he rolls into town, and he's there a day before. Um, and the press catches wind that he's going to be there. And so they've got the tent up. They've got all that. They've been broadcasting it. It's happening. He's in town now. And so the, the press, the, the newspaper, runs an article about the gentleman. And so it's the day of the revival, and so that morning, some of the people that had brought him in, they, they come to him, and they bring to him the newspaper, like, have you seen this? He says, I have. Well, what's going to be your rebuttal? How are you going to, you've, you've got to do something. He says, okay, you want my answer? They put all these things about him, said all this stuff, about, ran his name through the mud, just talked horrifically about him. He's like, you want to know my response to this? They're like, yes, please. He said, if they knew me like my Jesus knew me, these are the least of my worries of what they've said about me. If they knew my heart like Jesus knew my heart, they wouldn't just put stuff in the newspaper. They would run me out of this town. I have nothing I need to say. My God fights my battles for me. My God is my voice. I have nothing to say. His gospel has redeemed and rescued me. Nothing to say. 
and, and, and this, what I love about this is, is as I read this, is, as I'm looking through this, is, as, as, I'm, as I'm hearing and seeing, I, I just think of just a few months ago, someone coming to me and sitting down with me and saying, hey, Scott, I need to talk to you for a second. And as he begins to talk to me um, and share some stuff with me, um, I, I wanted to get defensive. You know, like, like that's, that's, that's the mechanism I go to first is let's be defensive or let's try to fight against. or let's, uh, There's no way that I could really be like that. And so it's easy to stand up here and be like, yes, brother, please tell me about me, my struggles. My, please, it's easy to share that kind of stuff. But when people really do it, it stings a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, really deep down, we're all prideful. We're all a little arrogant. We, none of us like to be called out. None of us like to be confronted in our sin and our struggle. And so he, he comes to him and he sits down with me. He starts to talk with me. He starts to share some stuff. And I had two responses. I could either get like, like you, you're a fool. What are you thinking? You're crazy. I'm not like that. Which would what? Further show that, okay, I've got some areas in my heart that I need to work on. As he begins to talk, I listen. And the way he did it was so loving and so gracious. And he starts to talk to me. He starts to share with me some of the things that he's seen. And somebody that's close to me that loves me, and I just listen and I talk. I'm like, man, you know what? You're right. Dude, that's a struggle. Pray for me. And then you know what I do? I get to have that opportunity to say, well, how could I be better? What, what could I do to be better? Hey, share with me some, some ideas that you've got. Or share with me some things that maybe you've seen or you've experienced or you've been through. Because what I've learned usually is those that call us out or those that are around us or those that we think are so judgmental or maybe we're judgmental ourselves, God has strategically placed in our life. Why? Because we, we struggle with the same stuff. We go down the same road, do we not? We have the same hang-ups. We have the same uh, fallouts. We have all of those types of things. So God in his, his grace and his mercy and love just puts people like that with us that can help us and press us on all the more. So what happens is, church, is if we don't receive criticism, we're saying that we are perfect and we don't have struggles when the truth of us, none of us are there. None of us are there. Another way you know that you've um, you've written someone off or you've judged someone is that, that you write them off as being too far gone. Is that you write someone off being too far gone. That, that's the way that you can know that you, you, you've judged someone because what do we know? Jesus came to save the lost, bring life to the dead. And there's never anyone who's outsinned the reach of the cross, is there? there? There's no one that is ever too far gone that Christ can't be sufficient in them. The reality of his cross and what he has done. So my question, Who would you not share with? Who would you not tell? Who would you not engage in life with when it comes to sharing the truth and the gospel? Because the reality is this is probably the very person you need to go after. It's probably the very person that you need to run after. And so if there's a name that you would fill in, then that's the person that you need to go after. That's probably the person that you are, are judging in the way of sin. And so when he tells us, when Jesus tells us not to judge, he was not telling us not to assess someone he was just telling us to assess with humility, to assess with grace and understanding without dismissing that person, without being done with them, without setting them aside and having nothing else to ever do with them. So then we get to verse 6. And verse 6 says this. It's probably a verse that you've heard. It says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before the pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, what the heck does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Don't judge, don't judge. We're talking about some logs. We're talking about some splinters in our eyes. And then he starts talking about dogs and pigs and pearls. What in the world? But see, we use this verse right here to justify something in us. We use this, word, this verse right here to, to justify us. Okay, well, I don't have to reach out to that person. I don't have to go after them. What does this mean? 
Because it can't mean that we refuse to engage those who disagree with us. It can't mean that. We see Jesus do this all the time as he lovingly engages with a group that wants nothing to do with him or his way. The Apostle Paul is the same way, is he not? So what is Jesus saying? What does he mean? See, throughout the Gospels, Jesus compares the message of his kingdom to a pearl. Something that has great value, something that is precious. See, but some people, he says, they just don't have the capacity to grasp it. They don't have the capacity to get it. There has to be a higher form of life outside that steps in. And so it's the awakening to the reality of who God is and what he has done by way of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. That's what needs to happen. It's a life given by the Spirit. God has supernaturally given people eyes to see the reality of their situation, of their circumstance, of their condition. So do we eventually get to the place where we don't share, where we have nothing to do? Maybe. I don't know that answer. I don't fully get this verse. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, possibly. All I know is I've never been to that place where God says, okay, you're done. Have nothing else to do with somebody. I have had God press upon my heart. Okay, it's time, it's, time, it's time to step back a little bit, Scott. It's time to push pause. It's time to pump the brakes. It's, it's time to step back a little bit. There may, there may need to be some space. There may, may need to be some time away. But what I've learned is that is even in those moments, I can still do something very, very effective. I can still do something very, very important, and it's pray. It's pray. Though I may not agree with the lifestyle, though I may not agree with what they're doing, though I may not uh, uh, have any more effect in their life in sharing the gospel, maybe it's time to step back for just a little bit, and as I step back, I can still continue to pray. So to close, what I want to do is this. I want to walk through some ways that we can make, make this practice in helping us not to be people who live lives of judging. The first thing is this, is like I just said, it's pray. It's pray. One, we need to pray for ourselves. Two, we need to pray for those that we're assessing, that we're looking at, that we're seeing what's going on in their life. I, I, I love it. I love it um, because Ian Bounds says this, just this man that is just known for prayer, that just has written volume after volume about prayer. And this is what Ian Bounds says. The great theologian, he says, we shouldn't try to talk to a person about God without also talking to God about that person. Uh, that's good. He says, we shouldn't try to talk to people about God until first we talk to God about the people that we're going to talk to. And so that's what we need to do in church. That's what we need to be about. The only thing that we can do that can aid in hearts being changed is pray. Is pray. The second thing that we need to do is this, the way that we can kind of assess where we're at, is be sensitive to what people can receive. We need to be sensitive to what people can, can receive. We can be right all the day long, but if you say or deliver the message the wrong way, then are we Right? What effect do we have in that? Yes, we may be right with the knowledge and the truth, but if we handle it wrong, the sign. I mean, who wants to be screamed at? Who wants to be yelled at? Who wants to be ridiculed, ridiculed and mocked and looked down upon? Yes, sin is horrific. Yes, sin is nasty. Yes, sin is dirty. Yes. Which, why that should, that should change our hearts in regards to how we handle people in sin. Because we've all been there. And thank God that he shows us grace and mercy even in our sin. See, Jesus even once said this. He says, many things you're just not ready for yet. So some people God is just working on and we just need to know uh, what we can give them. We need to be sensitive to what people can receive. Like we had, we had our littlest guy, he's three and a half now, uh, but when he was little, he's probably like around two, he's had a few teeth in there, and we were at the Mexican restaurant, and our boys, they're just like chips and salsa boys, you know, like they love it. 
And so we're sitting there, and he's like trying to reach for it and grab it. I'm like, okay, let's give it. It's probably me, not her. She's the good parent. I'm not the, such a good parent. And so I'm like, yes, let's give him chips and salsa. This will be awesome. And so what do we do? I give him a chip. And what happens? Like just a moment, like, oh, I mean, he's like gagging. And like it's like, because like, you kind of, you have to watch, because like sometimes this is kind of like, like a little reflex type thing, and then they're good. But it wasn't just like the little reflex thing, and then he was good. I mean, like he was like, it was happening. And so then I kind of just like, I'm like, I'm going to, ah. And I can remember getting him out of his seat, and like, we're, I didn't shake him. You don't ever shake a baby. And I just remember Mary getting him and kind of loving him, just kind of hitting him on the back a little bit, and he finally, it, it comes back out. He wasn't ready for a chip and salsa. You know what? Sometimes people aren't ready for the full-fledged presentation of the gospel yet. Maybe it's praying for them and stepping in and just earning fellowship and trust and relationship and then all the while doing that, seeing where they're at, all the while pulling back some curtains of your life and sharing where you're at, all the while you eventually work and get to the gospel. God will let you know. The Holy Spirit will, will direct you and guide you what people are ready for and when. The third thing is this, is that we need to learn to tailor the delivery of our message to our audience. Hear me, the message is always the same. Always the same. The gospel is always the gospel. We never water it down. We never make it seeker-friendly. We, we tell the truth about the truth, period. But I just think of a story in John 11. You have two different women. You have Mary and you have Martha. What does Jesus do? He responds in two different ways, does he not? Does he not? I can remember having a class in school, and this class in school said, you need to know how to share the gospel with children. Well, because the presentation that I do in here on a Sunday morning as we share and as we dissect the word, how many, how many three-year-olds right now would just, like, like, they'd be eating this stuff up and loving it? I mean, they'd be ready to poke their eye out with the crayon, would they not? I mean, they're not going to say, maybe the chip story they would get, and then Bennett would attack me, but I don't know, you know? I mean, but, but how many people, I mean, you know, I don't share the same way with a three-year-old that I would uh, a Sunday morning congregation. We need to know, we need to be aware of, we need to tailor the delivery of our message. And then the fourth and last thing I've got is, as the band comes back up is this, is that we need to seek rege regeneration before persuasion. We need to seek regeneration before persuasion. So Jesus didn't get bogged down on, on with the secondary things. He didn't get bogged down with the secondary things. No, 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 John 4, you've got the woman at the well, she's getting water. The scripture says, Jesus makes this comment, you've had many husbands, and what does she do? She tries to turn the conversation to where, you were, where they worship. But what does Jesus do? He always works it back to the main thing, isn't it? And the main thing is the relationship with him. The main thing is the gospel. The main thing is Jesus. I don't, I don't care. You worship that hill, this, I don't care where you worship. The thing is, you need to know what you're worshiping. You need to know who you're worshiping. And it needs to be the right thing. So what we need to do, we need to seek regeneration, salvation. That's what we need to do. We need to seek God. God needs to get a hold of someone's heart because if not, it's just behavior modification. And behavior modification does nothing but for a moment, does it not? Stop doing that, stop doing that. They stop doing it for two days, but then after the third day, they go right back to it. Why? Because they need to be saved first. They don't need to know the behavior first. They need to realize and see that they're lost. And then once they get saved, God will start to change and transform their heart. And as he starts to change and transform their heart, then their behavior will go the same way. That's what happens. So those are some things that I believe that we just need to, we need to do a better job with. We need to be people that pray. We need to be sensitive to where people, what people can receive. We need to learn to tailor the delivery of our message to our audience. Where are they at spiritually? Where are they at with the knowledge of Jesus? And the fourth, 
we need to do so we're not judgmentals. We need to seek regeneration. We need to seek salvation before persuasion. So church, I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning by way of his word. I don't know what the Holy Spirit has pressed upon your heart, but I want you to, I want you to be obedient to whatever it is that he's called you to do in this moment as we have a time to respond. As we have a time, maybe it's to come and pray. Maybe you are judgmental. And, and hear me, that's, that's not a good quality. That's not a good trait. Like, you get that, right? Like, judge, judge that's sin. That's writing someone off. That's saying to hell with them. That's what judgment is. That's what being judgmental is. And all I've got to say is thank God that he's not that way. Yes, he's going to judge us. And so when we throw out that verse, only God can judge me. You're right, but you don't want to get to that part. Brother says, you don't want to make it to that place. Because when you're talking about God judging, he's going to judge on a level and in a way that, that we can't even begin to imagine. And so the only way that you want to be judged by God is under the blood of Jesus Christ. So maybe for you this morning, it's coming to faith in Jesus. Maybe for you this morning, it's learning more about that. Having more conversation, pressing in. I don't know what God's stirred in your heart. Maybe it's going and apologizing to somebody. Maybe it's picking up the phone and sending a text message, I need to talk to you. Or maybe it's picking up the phone and just saying, I'm sorry. Or maybe somebody in this sanctuary, you need to go apologize. I don't know what God stirs in your heart, but what I want to tell you is just be obedient. Because you think judging is sinful, not obeying Jesus is sinful. And so whatever he stirs in your heart to do, you respond. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, it's tough. Ah. The reality is this, every single one of us in this room has judgment on. I'm sure we struggle with it. So God, I pray you break our heart, convict us of our sin, and draw us to your side. Jesus, thank you for being gracious and loving. God, press upon us this morning in this place what you want us to hear. And we pray. Amen. If you guys would stay in, Matt and Anne are going to lead us this morning. Thank you.